Well, good morning to you. We're so happy that you've joined us today and many of you watching at home. I also want to greet those of you that are watching at some point at Eschaton, our church plant there, so to speak, as well as at, uh, at Wayne Brown at the jail there. We're happy that you're here and we look forward to our time together this morning. We get to continue on our series in Jonah today, and we've been spending the last uh, few weeks doing that, and we're all the way up to chapter 3. If you have a Bible, or whether that's digital or paper version, you can uh, refer to that. We'll be looking at the entire uh, chapter 3 today. I want to take a moment, though, because you might be joining us for the first time in our series today, to review a little bit and do a quick little snapshot overview of the first couple chapters of Jonah. Jonah, the Bible tells us, was a prophet of God, and God called him to go to the Assyrian city of Nineveh. And uh, that was a, a huge city and a, really a, a, a very evil city. And God says, go to them and bring them judgment. And Jonah basically says, no thanks, God, that's not, that's not on my itinerary. And he, instead of going, he jumps on a boat and heads in the opposite direction. Now, I want to bring up a map here so you can kind of see what God is doing for us here. Uh, Jonah picks up the boat in Joppa. Instead of heading to Nineveh, you see after the right, some 550 miles, he says, I'm heading to Tarshish, which is about 2,500 miles in the opposite direction. And so he heads in that way, saying, God, find somebody else to do your business. I can't be the only prophet in your stable, right? And, uh, and so maybe I'll just find someone else to do this. I'm going to take a vacation or something. And he heads out. Well, God has a different response. He says, um, Jonah, where are you going? What are you doing? And God sends a storm to get his attention. Now, of course, it gets the attention of the entire boat as well because they're threatening. It, it threatens to capsize and to just go down. And so the men on the boat, they panic. They figure out what they're going to do. And, and Jonah finally admits that the storm is there because he's running from God, running from his God, the true God. And he basically says again, he tells them, just toss me overboard. That way you'll spare yourselves. God will calm the storm and he'll just take me. And that's what happens. The men reluctantly but finally do throw him overboard. And Jonah, at this point, is falling now into his death into the sea to drown. Except that Jonah is, is then swallowed by a great fish, the Bible says. And this is what the book of Jonah and the story of Jonah gets its fame for, is Jonah in the belly of the whale or the fish. Uh, he spends three days and three nights, the Bible says, in the belly of this, uh, of this large fish. It's kind of a strange vacation, not quite what he had planned. <laughs> it kind of makes you wonder, though. I think about that. Why did it take so long? Why did Jonah have to spend three days, three whole days in the belly of the fish there? And uh, couldn't God have made the fish spit him out a whole lot sooner? And I know God could have done that, but I think the issue is that it took Jonah that long, perhaps, to get his attitude to come around. That long, maybe, for him to cry out to God and in repentance, true repentance, and ask for help. Maybe his heart was so hard and he suffered uh, for a while on his own before he admitted that God knows best. So Jonah, in, in chapter 2, we looked at that last week. Pastor Ron spoke to us. He prayed, finally, and God spoke to the fish, said, spit him out. And the fish literally, the Bible says, vomited him out uh, onto dry land. Kind of a pretty picture there. Not. Uh, Jonah then, uh, we see Jonah out on the land. He, he had run from God uh, when God spoke to him, but the fish was smart enough to be obedient when God spoke to the fish. And so that's one for the fish, right? Fish zero, prophet one. The fish was immediately res responsive and obedient. Jonah, not so much. Well, that catches us up to today. So we want to pick up the story there at Jonah. We're going to start at chapter 2, verse 10, where the fish spits him out, and we're going to read through chapter 3, and then we'll break it down a little bit. But let me read for you here, and you can follow along. Jonah 2, verse 10 says, And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. 
So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey. And he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh, they believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne and removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published throughout Nineveh, by the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows, God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. What a great piece of scripture. Here we see that God calls Jonah a second time. He basically says, call out. Call out against Nineveh the message that I tell you. And oh, by the way, I think God says to Jonah too, take a shower before you go. You stink. (laughs) So Jonah hears from God again, but his fish experience this time impacts him and, and his change of heart that has come, at least partially. And instead of rebelling and running away, he chooses to obey. Okay, Lord, I'm gonna go to Nineveh. And I almost wonder if he thinks in his head, but I may never eat seafood again. (laughs) Perhaps that happens. So Jonah makes a long journey to present-day Iran, to Nineveh. It's many miles, hundreds and hundreds of miles. We don't know where the fish actually spit him out. So he has hundreds and hundreds of miles to travel, probably on foot, many days. And uh, and he finally gets to this place. Now, Nineveh, we've talked about it in the last few weeks, is a huge city. Walls literally 100 feet high, in some places 50 feet thick. There, it's projected there's at least 120,000 people there, maybe many, many more. It's a monstrous city, certainly for its day. And the Bible says it took three days to cross the city, to venture way through it, and to feel like you got a feel for the city. So Jonah, it says here, we just read, he enters the city, and at some point then, when, it, when the time is right, he starts speaking the message that God gives to the people. Now, there's so few words here in Scripture about what he says it perhaps was a little bit longer than that single sentence it's recorded, but, but it's basically shortened to the point. He basically says, God, you guys are practicing all kinds of evil. You've been doing that, and God is sick of it, and you're going to pay the price. That's the message that God brings. And Jonah walks, and he preaches, but I sometimes wonder myself if he, if he gives it his best shot. You know, he's out there talking, but does he use his best prophetic tone of voice, you know, or does he, does he kind of short sell it? He, he had to be afraid of these ruthless people. Plus, the, the fact is he didn't really want these people to repent. And so I wonder if did he really give it his whole heart here? Was he out there saying, repent, God really wants you to change? Or was he really going for it, you know? He, he felt that they deserved everything they had coming to them. That was what he thought. You see, I think Jonah thought, you know, my one act of disobedience lands me in the belly of a fish for three days. Their hideous, detestable behavior was going to put them frankly, in Sodom and Gomorrah territory, at least in Jonah's mind. But again, the Bible here says that amazingly enough, the people that heard Jonah, they repented, and they did the whole fasting and sackcloth thing as evidence that they really meant it. Well, the people that he bumps into, the word starts to spread, and the word gets to the king, and the king says, the the king repents, and he calls the whole city into fasting and mourning and repentance. 
in hopes that this God that Jonah brings to them and is referring to will spare them. He basically says, no food, no water, and sackcloth up all the people and even the animals and pray like crazy that God might do something. I started to think how funny that might be, trying to put sackcloth on all the animals. And so I'm at home, and I have a bunch of animals there, and I grabbed a piece of what I'll call burlap, burlap, and I grabbed my dog. She was the easy one. So here's Bailey. Show a picture of Bailey here. So yeah, I threw that on, and she's looking at me like, are you going to feed me? Because this is embarrassing. And I even tried to get it. The cats, of course, would not put up with it. The chickens ran away. Took a picture of the bunny here with, uh, with some sackcloth on, and that's, that's little Scout there trying to go. He also was saying, this is weird, Pastor John. And, uh, but, it, but it is, and I just think, you know, they basically put on sackcloth on everybody. They're sitting in ashes. They cover the animals. There's no food and water. This is real stuff here, real things happening. And we see as a result of not just their actions, but what God sees as a true heart. They're turned from their extreme violence that they are because these are bad, evil people. God says, you know what? I'm going to relent, and I'm going to spare this city. Now, We've heard the story from Jonah chapters 1 through 3, really through today here. But I want to see what God has to say to each one of us today, because this isn't just an interesting story about something that happened thousands of years ago. Even right today, God wants to speak to us in the middle of our sheltering in place, in the midst of our social distancing, our quarantining that's going on, our, our struggle to find essential paper towels and toilet paper rolls. <laughs> Today, and again, if you want to follow along on an outline there on your right tab, there in the chat area, there's a place if you want to even pull down message notes on this, uh, if you want to follow along as well, or just watch the screens and, and, and listen to my words. But we're going to call this learning from Jonah's second chance experience. This whole chapter was God giving Jonah a second chance. So the first thing we can learn here is that our viewpoint is limited. Our particular viewpoint, we're human, it's limited. See, Jonah certainly was. Let's flash back to chapter 2. He's in the midst of that storm, and that's in chapter 1. But the giant fish swallows Jonah. And and what do you think Jonah thought when he was thrown overboard? I'm certain as as the sailors throw him overboard, he thinks, I'm going to die. But strangely enough, I'd rather die than than relent and repent and and go back to shore and and do what God says. I'm certain that he thinks he's going to drown here. He's going overboard in the midst of the Mediterranean Sea, in the midst of a storm. I am going to die. I'm going to drown as a penalty for my disobedience. But then, before Jonah can drown in the crazy storm, he's followed by some sort of giant sea creature, and it's cold, it's dark, it's wet, it's, it's cramped, and let's be honest, it stinks. It's not a pleasant place to be. And I think Jonah's probably thinking... I really ticked God off. I made him mad. He's not going to let me drown quickly at this point. He's going to torture me in some horrible way before allowing me to die. Drowning is a whole lot better than whatever that's going on inside of this cramped, smelly place. Serves me right for running from God and thinking that was a good plan. That was potentially Jonah's perspective. But what Jonah saw as disaster, God uses for good. You see, the fish, it wasn't punishment as much as it actually rescued Jonah from certain death. God basically said, Jonah, (laughs) I blessed you with that fish. It it was a a forced meditation center, a, a mandatory quarantine going on. It's a chance, God says, to come to grips with life and your God and to get a new perspective. It saved his life. Today, this is true for us as well. What we may see as terrible, uh, as trouble, a horrible turn of events, God may intend for good. What we see as extreme problem may be God's providence in disguise. 
that was the case with Jonah. Did Jonah see the fish as God's gift right away? No, he didn't. But eventually he got there. And, and I think that's God's desire for us today, right in the middle of the coronavirus chaos. What we see is discomfort. What we see is craziness, fear, danger, all the things you may be experiencing. God has a different view. And from God's perspective, this might be a chance to slow down our busy lives just a bit. It might be the chance to ask ourselves, what's most important to our hearts? What really matters? Is it worth it cutting someone off in the grocery store aisle and leapfrogging a little old lady to get that last six pack of toilet paper in stock? What's important to you? And does your life reflect those things? Also, this, this living in the belly of a fish time of our lives, maybe that's where we're at. We're in the stomach of the fish. It's a chance to ask ourselves, what, who do we think is really in charge of our lives? Am I in charge? Are you in charge? Is it the government? Is it, is it the fear and worry of the unknown in the future that runs my life? Or is it God? And if it is God, can, can I trust his perspective, not my own? and his wisdom to know best, and, and will, will I trust his power to take care of me in the way that he knows best? Because it's pretty apparent that our viewpoint is limited. Our viewpoint is limited. Well, the second thing we can learn today from Jonah chapter 3 is that God is full of second chances. God is full of second chances. And how comforting is that? I mean, in fact, God is a God of second and third and fourth chances. Let's check out these Bible verses about God and Lamentations out of chapter 3. And Ron read these earlier in the services. It says, but this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Does that sound good? The steadfast love of the Lord, it never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Oh, we sang those words. We read those words. How true are they? That's that's our hope today. I can stand on that and I can rest on that, on God's love and his mercies that never end. Because to me, that means second chances and third chances and fourth chances. A God that loves me, the mercies that, that don't end after I blow it. Jonah repented in the fish and God was merciful and gave him another chance. Now you may think, sure, the prophet of God got a second chance, but he's special. He is God's prophet, right? God, he might not be so quick with his grace and mercy with someone like me. I'm just, I'm just me, not just some big-name prophet, right? But we see in this story that God gave a second chance for the people of Nineveh when they turned to him, and they were totally evil, nasty people. So God's never-ending love, it means second chances for us, no matter who we are, for each one of us. It means second and third and fourth chances for you, wherever you're at. And here's the great news. Ah, what comfort. Our, our past failures don't disqualify us from being used by God. He doesn't kick us out of his family when we blow it. Even if we mess up on purpose like Jonah did. Jonah just didn't do a small oops slip. He bolted. He ran. He said, no way, God. And if you're a follower of Jesus, if you've invited him into your heart, if you've surrendered to him and allowed him to fill you, you are in his family forever. And not only do you remain in the family, but he chooses to use us in spite of our failures. When we're ready to turn back to him, he's there. He's patiently waiting. Remember, his mercies never end, and they are new every morning. So, so he picks us up out of our swamp of failure. You know, he cleans us off. He smiles at us. He gives us 
I love this. He gives us a big God-sized hug. No social distancing needed with God. (laughs) And then he gently calls us back into action. We get to be a part of God's kingdom work, even when we used to be in the swamp, even when we used to be in the belly of a fish. Well, the third thing we can learn today from Jonah is is, is that we can be obedient to God and let him decide the outcome. We can be obedient to God and let him to decide the outcome. You see, God calls us to obedience first and foremost. He says, show that you love me simply by doing what I say. You see, it's not about producing the results that you think should come. God says it's simply about following me. There's a great Bible verse that speaks to this. It's 1 Corinthians 4, verse 2, and it says, Now it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. It doesn't say those who have been given a trust must be perfect or or must impress everyone or must lead people to Jesus every time, must never fail, must. It doesn't say that. It simply says those who have been given a trust must prove faithful, must do what God asks and leave the outcome to God. It's what God asks of Jonah and it's what God asks of us. So what might get in the way of our obedience? Well, one thing shows up in all of us at some level or another, and that's fear. So let's look inside at this next idea and look at this. And God says, follow your faith instead of your fears. Now, Jonah had fears that he had to overcome, all kinds of fears. It was this long, dangerous journey, hundreds and hundreds of miles. The Assyria, you might die on the way getting there. Then coming into this horrible city, they didn't, they didn't care for him in any case. There's a chance he's going to get killed even before he speaks God's message. And then he gets to deal with people getting mad at him, right? He also was afraid that they might repent absolutely afraid that if they did what God, if they, if they repented, that God would spare them because in Jonah's mind, they didn't deserve that. So that was a fear he carried that he had to overcome. You see, God calls us to follow our faith instead of the fears that so easily control us, just like he called in Jonah. You see, I know that our fears can distract us. They can even, they can even paralyze us so that we can't move at all when God calls us to motion. And so just to pause for a moment today, what fears do you need to overcome? Are you afraid of what other people think? And do those fears, do they they paralyze you and do they keep you from loving others? Do they keep you from sharing Jesus in the ways that he calls us to? Maybe you're afraid of the future, so you worry a lot. and, And God's call to trust him, that's a huge struggle. God says, put your faith instead of in front of your fears and follow me in faith, in obedience, rather than following your fears. I think that's God's call to us today, and we can see that exercise in Jonah. It's true for our hearts today. Also, when it comes to our obedience, a a next thing that we can see is that God can use us far beyond our skills and passions. And this is beautiful. God is not limited by us. You see, Jonah, he was one man. How's he going to reach this humongous city, just swarms of people? And, And frankly, he wasn't so motivated. We'll see next week as we get into chapter four. There was still some heart issues he had to overcome. But he's supposed to reach the city of 120 or maybe many more people. He has no sound system. He has no invitation to speak at the palace at court, right? He has no social media, no way to get his message out except to simply walk the streets and spew this message that that isn't going to be too wonderful. But then we take a look at us, and, and the truth is we tend to focus on the gifts we don't have. Jonah had to overcome a lot, and God wasn't limited by Jonah's shortcomings. The same is true for us. Now, we focus on the gifts we don't have, the courage we lack, the words we struggle with, but God doesn't just use us in spite of our weaknesses. 
He uses us through of our weaknesses, even because of our weaknesses. It's beautiful that he's not limited by us, just like he used half-hearted fishy Jonah to turn a huge city towards him uh, through a few words. Oh, yeah, and, and he used the power of the Holy Spirit. That's so key. So I guess the call today is don't limit yourself and what God can do through you because God doesn't limit you. God doesn't limit you. Why do we limit ourselves? Let's go ahead and take that step and, and go ahead and, and say, I don't limit God. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let God use me however he calls me. Well, the fourth thing, the last thing we can learn from Jonah today is that this is so simple, but it's so profound. God loves all people. God loves all people. Now, Jonah, he wanted God to totally take out the Ninevites, just zap them out of existence. But God had other big plans because of his unconditional love. And it says in 2 Peter 3, verse 9, it says, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, this is so good, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. We see that God loves all people, and he wants him and his family. Did you get that? It's all of them. And, and he's asking us to show and tell them about that love. Now, we're not talking just about the beautiful people, you know, the really moral people with great values, the lovable people, you know, those that are easy to love. This includes the people that are hard to love, the people that don't love God, even the people that are involved in all sorts of things that go directly against what he calls us to do and to be. You see, God's love isn't attached to our behavior. So, so he loves us when we're being dumb, when we're being rebellious like Jonah, when we're being... I don't know, jerks, if I can say that, and come into your family room with that word this morning. God says, I still love you, and, and it doesn't matter what you do. And I have to ask myself, do I love all people? I know that Jonah struggled with this as he, quite frankly, detested the Ninevites. We've talked about that. But to be honest, I struggle with this too. There are people in my world that are easy to love. You have that, I'm sure. But there are some that I really struggle with. <laughs> when I'm not letting Jesus have his way in me and really fill me and, and, and bring out his character in me, uh, there are some people around me that make me happy that there's social distancing <laughs> going on. I mean, I'm just being honest, you know. Yay, I can be far away from them, you know. Uh, and, and I say that with a smile, but I think we all have that. People in our world that we can't wait to become followers of Jesus. Oh, man, this person is great. I'm so excited about that. And then others that we can't imagine that God, that God would ever reach and take into his family. But that's really an incomplete, incomplete view of God. So what about you? I shared about myself a little bit. God called Jonah to not just speak judgment to the people of Nineveh, but to offer the chance to repent. That was the point of the message. And giving the people days. It wasn't just saying, this is for sure going to come. It's in, in essence saying, you have some days to get your act together. He speaks of God's grace and mercy, even if not directly. But God asked us to do the same thing. We're called to express the love of Jesus to people however we can whenever we can, wherever we can. The love of God has transformed us if you're a follower of Jesus. It's time to reach out to those around you with God's love, even if they are, if we could call them Nineveh people, you know, just those ones that make us cringe. How might you show that love? I mean, we're, we're in unique times right now, as Pastor Ron shared. We, we're in unique times where, where we can't really go out and do a lot of things we shouldn't. But what can we do? Maybe it's write some notes, write some cards. Maybe it's emails. Maybe it's 
prayer, which is probably the place to start and do a lot of that. How can we communicate people? What else might fit there? It's a chance to get creative and really pray to God, Lord, how can I show your love even in these times? Well, I want to share a story with you over the weekend here. Yesterday, um, we live up on Banner, and so we've still got a bunch of snow around and stuff. But yesterday in the morning, my son got up, Andrew, and, uh, and he took this huge step. He's down by the fireplace, got the fire going, and he's putting on his snow boots and stuff. And, hey, bud, what's going on? He said, hey, well, yesterday I was out with a walk, out on a walk with Bailey, our dog, with no sackcloth on her at the time. And uh, I bumped into this, this old guy on the, and he referred to where it was. It's not an immediate neighbor. You go down and around, and, and frankly, it's about a half mile away, but a, a place that we'll walk and drive by. And he says, this elderly guy was out there. He's trying to shovel snow, and he was really struck, struggling. And so I offered to help and helped it a little bit. But the guy actually, I gave him my phone number. And this is my 18-year-old Andrew. And Andrew says, I gave him my phone number because he said maybe he could use some help today, even this morning. And so here's Andrew now texting and calling this. He's an older guy, but he's savvy with the texting, I guess. And, um, and getting ready to go over there to help him. And, and I'm sitting there. I'm sitting with a blanket wrapped up by the fire. You know, I'm just kind of hanging out going, oh, boy. Well, how about if I come with you? And he said, that'd be a great idea, Dad, because I mentioned I've got a couple brothers and maybe some of us could come over. Well, none of the other brothers were up yet. So I head over to, the, over to this place with Andrew, just a chance to go. And inside my heart, I didn't say a thing to Andrew, but inside my heart, I'm like, way to go, Andrew. Way to go, Andrew. You know, you're out there. He sees this guy struggling. He goes over and offers his help. And now we're going back the next day. Well, it was kind of strange for me. We come up, and I wanted to let Andrew take the lead and not be the pastor and the dad and all that. I just, you know, Andrew comes up and says hello to the guy, and, and I see, greet him. It was kind of strange meeting him without shaking hands, you know, kind of from a distance doing the, the distancing thing. But how can we help? And, and we end up being there about an hour. Andrew goes inside. I hold the ladder while he goes and climbs up to this precarious spot to change a battery in a smoke detector because it's chirping and beeping and it needs to be changed and, and the man was just scared to death he's going to go up on the ladder and fall off so we work and do that and we change we change a battery and we go outside and some because of the snow some big limbs had fallen one almost had hit in the house hit the house and and we just get a chance to break out this little chainsaw and do some cutting up and doing some wood and, and you know the whole time after an hour at the end of it and again, I'm just so pleased and a chance to be here and say, I can help for someone who really needs help. And I have a chance to meet his wife as well. And uh, then the man comes out. He says, I'm going to go inside. And I thought, I know where this is going. He's going to come out with money. Well, he comes out and he says to Andrew, and he says, Andrew, how much do I owe you? Andrew goes, nothing. And he goes, no, come on. He says, nothing. I just want to serve. I just want to help. And the man, well, that doesn't really, and he's kind of flustered by this. And, you know, basically right in there, we get a chance to say, and we do even verbally, that you know, our faith is, gets, gets to get put into action here, and, 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 and Andrew has done that. It's step out and express the love, and we get a chance to verbally say, you know, the love of Jesus is, has, has impacted us so much, we just want to have a chance to be able to serve and do that as well. So you know what? That wasn't me. I didn't stop and help the guy. Andrew did. Andrew was the one who took the step, and I thought, yay for you. We were able to do that in a way that we didn't get too close. There were no, there were no coronavirus transgressions that took place there. But here was a man who got some help and, and was able to see that here's some people that care and that that's tied to a faith situation there. So um, I didn't say anything to Andrew that I was even sharing it this morning, so he'll be embarrassed. But, but yay, Andrew, appreciate that. Because Andrew showed me, he showed me and he shows us just a little bit how to love others the way God does in an appropriate way. And I think today God wants us to see and, and act on these four things understand that our viewpoint is limited so i'm going to defer to god on that 
His viewpoint, his perspective is bigger and better, and I'm going to trust his. The second thing, that God is full of second chances, and yay for that. God is full of second chances, so he will use me again and again whenever I'm available, regardless of what I've done and what I'm doing. The third thing, that God calls for obedience, leaving the results to him. I don't need to produce the desired results. That's God's job. I just want to take that step of faith and overcome my fears there. And finally, understanding that God loves all people and he asks us to share that love and to impact our world, even in these difficult times. Because, folks, that's right where we are right now. We don't, we don't totally understand you know, what today is, what tomorrow is, where is this coronavirus going to go. And that can either put us into a spot and send us down into a deep, dark place, or it can put us in a place that say, I'm going to be grounded on the God whose love never ceases, his mercies are new every morning, and I can stand there and not just survive these times, but somehow thrive and be light and life to people around me in some way. And so that's my prayer. Lord God, that you'd show us that, how you want us to do that, how you want us to manage that. And would you pray with me this morning? Father, I just thank you for the opportunity to gather in a unique, unique way this morning. I know that we live stream our services. We've been doing that for a long time, but today that's all we're doing. And God, to speak to an empty room is different for, for us, for the worship team to be able to, to share music and know that it's just going out digitally, Lord. And yet we as a family are gathered. Uh, those of us that are watching online, uh, God, and those that are doing it live, those that will do it in the future, we thank you for that, that you're a God who goes beyond all of those things, that we can be family, that we can be together, and that we can love you, and that we can hear from you, Lord. I just pray that your Holy Spirit would speak to us, that you would stir our hearts, you would comfort us in these times when we need that comfort, but that you'd also motivate us to, to uh, act on the, the faith that you give us. Uh, Father, and that we can move ahead in some beautiful ways because we love you and we receive your love, that God-sized hug even now. May we feel your embrace. May we respond in Jesus' name. Amen.